we designed this question that was about how might we improve mental health and wellness through systemic change? Because so much out there was about individual change, right? Is there a new way to come up with new veterinary ideas? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VetX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today, the new idea guy, but not the guy who wants to have all the best new ideas, he just wants to solicit them, is Garth Jordan, CEO of the American Animal Hospital Association. With his internal AHA team and the help of industry leaders that he helped inspire, Jordan developed Veterinary Visionaries, a project to open source and crowdsource solutions to big problems in vet med. But first, how did a career in working for associations help him come up with this? Origin story in three, two, one. So Veterinary Visionaries is pretty straightforward. The idea came from... Well, I'll just tell you what my checkered past is. My checkered past for like 42 years is I've worked in professional and trade associations in different industries, mostly human health, but also in academia. And what I've noticed is a pattern that's repeated in the association world, regardless of what industry you're in. So in healthcare, in academia, there are dozens, sometimes hundreds of associations, professional and trade associations. And of course, they're each serving their own interest, which is appropriate because they're a business, they're nonprofits, but they're a business. They're serving the interest of a particular profession, a particular you know, line within the industry, whatever the case may be. That all makes sense. The challenge is, is when a given industry or ecosystem has a very high level and shared challenge, that when you have all that fragmentation, so associations can represent different uh, professions in an industry, different geographies in an industry, state associations, et cetera. When you have that kind of fragmentation, what happens is any given nonprofit or association might try to tackle the shared challenge by themselves or with a small group of other associations. Okay. And then they go off and they write a white paper or they, they develop a cord. Or they do this thing and God love them and God love us all because that's the business we're in. <laughs> they do this thing or you develop an entirely new association just for that problem, right? And that's okay. You know, there's never a silver bullet. I know that, right? So you need all of that. But the problem, I think, that one of the challenges, or I guess I would say the opportunity is to say, well, let's defragment that approach. Let's find a way to bring us together and say, hey, we actually have this shared challenge. And in that shared challenge, we can come together in a different way and try to solve it together. And then when some solutions bubble to the top, we all know what they are and we can all try to you know, adopt them or adapt them for our own use. As opposed to someone doing it you know, in a corner, or as I like to say, like Hamilton, I wanna be in the dark room where it happens, right? Like, no. Let's not put it in a room where only a few people know where it happens. Let's right. talk about it together. So I'll talk about the positives of that ecosystem you mentioned. So I could see that as you were explaining that, that I've seen this in other industries. And I thought that's VetMed. So VetMed has always had a strong 
entrepreneurial bent because doctors can tumble out of school, make their own business and do things their own way. And they can make their own slightly larger businesses and slightly larger chain groups. There's an association for practice managers, there's an association for veterinarians, there's an association for veterinary technicians, and they're all sort of working together, but they all have their own people in charge and they've all got their own ideas. And then as you scan the big picture across the thing, you're like, well, everybody's thinking about this, but people write for whatever reason, once they've established a thing, a little node out there, it's hard to loosen that node up and hook it up with another node. The people are nice and cordial. And then that backroom thing, that attracts me too, because what happens is people who get frustrated with that fragmentation, a few people with power go and settle somewhere and make a plan for something and then disseminate it. And it works. Both those do work. That's why I'm curious, this third Mm -hmm. idea about like, "Mm, could we open source this? How would it look to try to get everybody involved? Because those other two things work to an extent and they work sometimes. But I like this idea that there might be some other approach we could try. Right. Okay. Yes. So you nailed it. And you do. You get another example of a different way of approaching it as a think tank. Yes. Okay. That shows up too. And again, I'm not trying to bash any of these methods, right? They're all different ways to approach problem solving. Or you have like in a think tank or a quote unquote thought leadership group who says, oh, our big initiative for the year or the next three years is X. And we think because we think the initiative is X, we think everybody else should think the same initiative is X. And now just by virtue of us saying the initiative is X, Everyone else will do the work and we don't have to do the work because we're the thought leaders. That happens in every industry among associations and, of course, the for-profits that give us sponsorship money, right? So, again, it's an ecosystem. You see it repeated in different ways, places, shapes, and forms, but it's common. This is not something that is unique to veterinary medicine. It's not unique to any given industry, et cetera. So it's shared. What I don't see in all of those kind of shared ecosystems where there's hundreds of associations in transportation, right? You don't see as often is everyone coming together saying, that is our problem. How can we, and I love the term that you used because I think it's a, a very, very good term. How do we open source, crowdsource, right? How do we come together? And my best analogy that I have is an IT hackathon. If the audience here knows what hackathon is. Describe that. I'm sure some do and some don't. (laughs) Hackathon is a group of software developers have a common problem or a common thing that they want to make. So instead of them going off in different corners and trying to compete with software, they say, well, if we make this new software, it will benefit all of us, like open source Drupal, right? Or something like that. So let's get together for a period of time. Oftentimes it's over the weekend with a lot of caffeine, right? Because developers, (laughs) that's how they work. And let's, they call it a hackathon. Let's hack away at the software and build the thing that's going to make all of us better. And I love that because it's such a beautiful analogy for what we can do. We don't have to do it over a weekend together. We can do it over time, right? We can do it synchronously, asynchronously, but we can come together and say, let's build a thing that's going to make us all better. And it's free then. It's open source, like open source software. It's free for all of us to use. It doesn't have to be the owned intellectual property of any one company. That's what bothers me about shared challenges when we're all trying to kind of solve them. And I get this. So it's, it's not, it's not, I'm not, again, I'm not maligning it. 
right? You're saying you understand the impulses and they're good impulses yeah, in many cases. Right. And, and I'm going to go build a company to solve that. Okay, great. Well, then so are five and 10, 20 other people. You're building <laughs> right. solution, and then you defragment what could have been a good universal solution. And then it becomes hard for people to make choices, whatever the case may be. So that that was a very long winded way of going about saying that's kind of the spirit and the concept that brought veterinary visionaries about is to defragment that approach to problem solving. So what was the first step in this project and how did it go with that first step? Who participated? What happened? Well, there were several first steps, as you might imagine. <laughs> okay. The very first step was getting the idea on paper. And then the second okay. step was saying, who even cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you immediately played right as you did this. You're like, well, let's devil's advocate this. And say, yeah. if somebody thinks this is stupid, then what we're, we we're, we're not going, we're not going there. So literally just like, you know, I have a day job. It's called being the CEO of AHA. And then it became a, a like it quickly became a night job, right? Of like, who could I email about this idea? And will they talk to me about it? So I start emailing people like on the VMA list, VMA right. list, right? Because uh, they're, you know, they're CEOs and executive directors of veterinary associations. So I just start randomly emailing them. They don't even know who I am. I'm in the <laughs> industry. Why would they care, right? And like, hey, I have this idea. Do you want to talk about it? So luckily, some people raised their hands and said yes. That was the first step is just to socialize it and say, you know, I don't want to personally right now, you know, I don't want to personally have my name or AHA's brand associated with it. It is. But that's not the long term goal here. That is so far from the goal. The goal is to create this space. And this space is where we solve together. And it can somehow in the future be self-perpetuating, right? I don't know what that looks like yet. I'm not going to pretend to know. But if we can get enough interest around it, you know, would you want to participate? And the answer to the question was, I love defragmentation of problem solving. And I love this place being a space that nobody owns, but we kind of collectively own it, blah, blah, blah. Loved it. We got 30 organizations saying we'd like to be part of it. And then over the course, within about, I don't know, a month and a half of me just pitching it to the wind, right? And then we started to say, well, what's our first event going to be? Kind of a version of the hackathon that we just talked about. What's our first hackathon going to be? So we started to think about it. And then we got more organizations dribbling in. And by the time we started to define what our first event would be, we ended up with, let's say, somewhere around 40, 45 organizations. State VMAs, we had uh, ACVIM and VEX were early in you know, a, a variety. So I don't want to shortchange anyone. So I apologize to all. Sure, I can try to give the whole list because yeah, yeah, I'm not going to run through yeah. the whole list. But we got that interest. So that's good. Now, you know, getting the interest and maintaining the interest, two different things. And you wanted an in-person event. Is that what I'm hearing? No, 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 no. Oh, no. no. So no, it doesn't, a hackathon or in this case, a kind of a, a solutioning ideation event. It, it doesn't have to be in person. We're not asking anybody to pay anything. But we created this event and you have to say, well, what's it going to be around? So if you're going to do a hackathon, what is the software we're going to develop? In this case, what are we going to solve for? And we took a couple pages out of the book of design thinking, which is know the question you are solving for. Be very, very clear with your question first. Before you start solving just generically, what's the question? We designed this question that was about how might we improve mental health and wellness through systemic change? Because so much out there was about individual change, right? And individual responsibility and or maybe like your one practices or your own company's organizational accountability. We basically said, 
There's a lot of information out there. It's not bad information. It's really good information. But what can we do above that? What can we do systemically, right? So we put this event together. We said, well, we need a platform where people can read about, read that question, read some background material on that question, why we landed on that question, and then give us an idea, right? I mean, it's that simple. Just, hey, you know, Brendan, give me an idea. What do you think? What's an idea for systemic change to improve mental health and wellness in our ecosystem? And I mean systemic, right? So not just the individual. So we had a goal. We said, well, let's A, take that event. We'll put it on a platform. The platform's given to us by a company called IdeaScale, which is like, you use the term, like a crowdsourcing platform. So that's really the big step is recruiting the people, recruiting the companies who will sign on and help you kind of co-market this idea of an event. What is your platform where you're going to collect the ideas for this version of a hackathon, right? This social version, it's like a social hackathon, if you want to call it that. And then what's the platform? And then how are you going to get people to contribute? So we had a goal of getting 30 people, 30 ideas. We got 133, which like went nuts for us. We were like, wow, this is not bad for a pilot, right? We got a lot of people participating. And uh, I won't tell you what's happened after that, because that might be one of your next questions. Uh, Don't spoil the follow-up. Here we go. (laughs) That was last April and May where we had the event. We got a ton of ideas. And now, of course, we had to decide what was the best. So we, the best idea. So we had a, a kind of a judging competition experts in organizational psychology and psychological health. They were our experts and we named our winner and some runners up. And now the question is, is, you know, what are you going to do with it? And that could be your follow-up question. What are you going to do about it? So before I want to ask, so you mentioned this company, so idea scale, did you pitch this to them or you knew them before? And they're like, oh yeah, we'll just give this to you for free. Normally we charge companies X thousand dollars to build this thing internally or externally. Yeah, they, they didn't give it to us for free. I mean, I, okay. <laughs> so, okay, it wasn't gratis. You know, All right. Yeah, I know. I, maybe I accidentally said, you know, they gave us something. They, didn't, they gave us their expertise, but they, they didn't give us the platform. Okay. But I knew IdeaScale. I've known what they call uh, crowdsourcing platforms. There's a variety out there. Bright Idea is another one. I think Open IDEO is another one. There's a variety of crowdsourcing platforms. I just knew this one. Because I knew the uh, some of the people that worked there, so I called them up and I said, "Hey, we're going to do this thing. This is what it is. Can you give us, you know, at least a, a little bit of a deal? Because poor us, we're a little nonprofit. We don't know what right. we're doing." Right? They gave us an, a nice deal, but Aha footed the bill because we believe this is just a good thing to do. And eventually, you know, and we got some sponsors that helped us pay for that, which is really really nice, you know. And but this was never about making a bunch of money on sponsors either. It's just about trying to build that space that I talked about, that defragmented solving space, right? And build that habit in our industry of solving together instead of saying, hey, let's use that space to solve together instead of the space we create in that back room, right? Right. So given that, that you said, ah, so we already know the back room thing. Yes, it can get stuff done, but it's not transparent. What is the transparency behind? How did you pick the question? So the question you settled on and who did? And then how anonymous or how public were people's suggestions when they put them onto this platform? Was it a discussion board or was it, nope, put a thing up and dunk, there it goes? That's a good question. So the original founders helped us create the first question. Okay. Right. So we had to start with some group somewhere. Right. So yeah, you could say, well, that's a little bit of a room in the back, but I mean, there's 40, 
50 organizations involved in helping us think about the question. So, right. you know, and some participated more than others, which is the way volunteerism works. Right. <laughs> but collectively, it was a collective effort to get to that point. At that time, so it was the people who want to be involved had a hand in crafting the question. Absolutely, okay. right? And, you know, someone could have raised their hand and said, that's a terrible question. I want blah, 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 right? And so then you're hurting cats for a while. And- right. <laughs> Hey, that's part of volunteerism. That's part of collaboration. That's part of defragmenting and, you know, crowdsourcing. It's just, it's harder work, but hopefully you get more acceptance at the end. That's, that's your goal. So yes. So that's part A to your question. Part B to your question is the platform is open. Okay. So when you say it's called another way to say it is an open innovation platform. So meaning any idea that's posted on there, you can see, I can see, anyone can see. In fact, anyone in anywhere in the world with internet access can see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was really open. Like, we just want to be clear to you people, whatever you put up here is completely ungated. That's right. Yeah. When you sign up, Brendan, if you said, I want to contribute my idea, you have to register to be able to go onto the platform and contribute an idea. That's one thing you have to do. And then you agree that, hey, this idea that I'm giving is no longer my intellectual property. Okay. Okay. Because it's a gift to this platform and the rest of the world. So now that you've got 133 ideas on there, it's kind of like a Pinterest board. Once you get into the platform, you see the ideas in these panels, Mm -hmm. then you can click on it and it goes to the ideas landing page. So anyone at any time, and it's still up from our event from last May, anyone can go in and say, oh, I want to look at any one or all of the 133 ideas that were submitted to improve systemically, improve mental health and wellness in veterinary medicine. Okay. I'm not saying every idea is good. That's not the point, right? But we have 133 ideas. We have one winner and three runners up. And that was based on the judging process that we had at the time. And we said, well, we're gonna do our best to implement at least one of these ideas because what good are they without some kind of implementation? That's not what you asked, but The transparency behind it is this is intellectual property that is ours collectively. That's the other thing behind this. If the community is generating the intellectual property, it should be the community's intellectual property. It's not a company's intellectual property. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. 
So then I guess now we walk through the what does it look like? All the idea generation. I've been to lots really good idea generation brainstorming meetings or brainstorming processes and you come up with something you're really into. And of course, the devil in the details and everything that can you execute. So the one that won and the one that sort of everybody who all the volunteers had committed and said, we like this one. This is the one the judges voted on. How could we make this happen? Did you get to the the second part of the hackathon, which is the hacker sitting there and building the software. Yeah, yeah. So that one's taking a little extra effort. So now we're post-event, right? Yes, right. And post-event. we've got the ranked ideas and the winners and, you know, the winners won some money, which is really cool. We were able to afford to give them a little nice. bit of money as a thank you. But I want to talk about two of the ideas. Okay. You can interrupt me and ask me questions about whatever the case may be. But okay. the winning idea was um, submitted by a Canadian her name is Coral Doherty, mm-hmm. and she submitted the idea that our veterinary ecosystem should adopt and adapt psychological health and safety standards. And I don't want to butcher her submission, so go ahead and go read it on your own. But essentially what she was saying is psychological health and safety standards already exist out in the world. The International Standards Organization, the American National Standards Institute, different countries, Canada included, have published psychological health and safety standards for multiple industries, meaning one set of standards that cross multiple industries. Okay. And they've been proven that when they're adopted by either an industry or just a business, I like those standards. I'm going to try to apply them in my business. They've been proven to improve psychological well-being within that particular workforce. So that's pretty cool. There's a solution out there. The point is, is there's a solution out there, A, It's already proven. B, it's systemic. C, we just have to adopt it and adapt it for us. (laughs) That's almost like the easy button of all the solutions. It's already out there. We don't have to invent this from nothing. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I mean, to me, it's kind of like one of those, you know, knock on your marble head kind of thing. Like, hello, McFly, right? It's out there. It's there. (laughs) It's just waiting for you to pick the cherry off the tree, right? Pick the fruit off the tree. So I love that Coral kind of called that out. And that was the idea that won. So we have a group of about, I don't know, 15 volunteers right now who have said, we'd love to try to take that idea and make it real. And so I'll just gloss over the high level steps. First, there were, we've been doing an environmental scan. Of what are the standards that are out there in the world? right? The psychological, doesn't matter what industry it covers or what country it comes from. Just let's bring them kind of together in a document repository, right? Okay. The fascinating thing about that, I have to interrupt you, is when you were talking about, well, let's go out and do a check. I've been in veterinary so long. I know veterinary is so insular. I'm like, oh, so you went to all the chains and like uh, all the large hospital chains and the associations and got there. No, you're like, no, you don't understand. The world, the world. or all professions, we went to see anywhere we could get yeah. it from. Like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, we're trying to, to, we're doing our best. You know, will we get 100%? No. Will we get, I don't even know if we'll get 25%. But the point is, to your point, we're open to just like getting, collecting what we can. So if anyone's listening to this right now, send us what you got, right? Okay, you got a set of standards. You're open. Yeah, right. And um, so then the question is, is, well, once you've done that and you've got that kind of repository, it's like meta research, right? What's out there? How are you going to take that and call out from that standards that make sense for our ecosystem? 
right? It may be that there's a, it's really easy. I have no idea if it's going to be really easy, really hard, whatever. It's probably something in between. Right. But the idea is you'll call something out of there, adopt it, and maybe adapt some wording, right? And you have to be responsible in this process. So in addition to our volunteers, as we build out this concept of now distilling that document repository into meaningful standards for our psychological health and safety standards for our industry, yeah. then let's make sure they've got some peer review around them. That we're not like being contrarian to what's really going out on out there in the world. So, you know, this will take time. This just doesn't happen overnight, but that's what the volunteers are doing. Uh, the concept and during that process, and then we're building out what the process looks like. You have to build the process. You can't just do it. You have to build a process for it. Right. So we're building the process for how to distill it. And we're building a process for, as we get these drafts done, how are we going to get input, right? Expert input, public input, whatever the case may be. So could this fall flat and never get done? Sure. Right. Volunteers burn out. They disappear off the face of the earth. It could never get done. It's not for lack of trying. I can tell you that. <laughs> but we're at the very beginning of that. And right now we have a timeline that says we want to get this done by uh, the middle of next summer, summer of 2023. And it doesn't feel too aggressive to the team that's agreed to this. And so the environmental scan, the distillation process, and that feedback process, those are all being designed right now by a couple of different team subgroups in the team. And then when those are designed, then we're really kicking off. Then we're going to do the processes, right? That's idea number one. And that's where we're at with it. We're actually trying to do something with idea number one. I mean, you know, give us the, you know, cross everything, knock wood, do all those, you know, don't. don't salt over the back. shoulder. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah over, do all that stuff right now to, you know, help, you know, give us some good juju and we'll make it all happen. Okay, that's idea one. I like idea one. And you want to talk about idea two. I do, but I want to say one more thing about idea one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because anyone out there who knows AHA might have made the connection. Hey, AHA, you're about standards. Are you doing this because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy? (laughs) The answer is absolutely not. We did not vote. We did not, you know, we're behind the scenes, number one. Number two, these are not standards that AHA is going to own. Absolutely not. That is not what I, that is. I will die on a sword for that statement. These are like we talk about, these are open. So if a consultant wants to build a business on consulting, how to bring these standards, they can do that. If VCA wants to adopt them across all of their practices by themselves, they can do that. Okay. So I don't want anyone to think that aha is going to like, go out and try to benefit from this and crush the world with psychological health and safety standards. That's not what this is about. So it's not summer 2023 is when you announce the standards and then fall is when you announce a very expensive four pay certification process. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't going to happen. No, it's That's interesting. Right so this has been in software and I do role-playing game stuff. And I remember again, the big king of role-playing games is Dungeons and Dragons. And the biggest deal was years ago when they had an open game license. So again, they offered the rules and said, you can do anything you want with these rules. You just can't resell these rules as yeah. is. If you want to reskin them and make them your own, great. But these rules exist outside the marketplace, sort of inside it and outside. That is the best analogy I've heard. Yes. Okay, right? so I'm hopeful. That sounds I, yeah, cool. Thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm going to use that in my next 
Oh yeah, use that. And if you can wind in like knights and dragons and yeah, rolling, yeah. if there's if you have to roll dice for these standards, that I'm would gonna, be great. I'm going to bring in a twenty sided dice for these yes. standards. And uh, yeah, <laughs> awesome. yeah. So the second idea, which I I really love talking about this idea. Okay. I have a feeling the way I talk about it can offend people, but I'm okay with that because that's not really the intent. But I'm very passionate about this idea. Yeah. It was submitted by a second year DVM student who I spoke with in person and who told me he was already planning around between year five and seven after graduation, his next career, because he knew he would be psychologically or he believes he will be psychologically destroyed by the industry that he loves and that he hasn't even graduated for yet. Okay. Okay. That's troubling. Yeah. So A, you have to love the idea just because of that intent, right? Or because of that, where this deep persona that it's coming from. But his idea was to essentially say, hey, I know there's this thing out there in the world called an employee assistance program that companies buy for their, as like, you know, for their employees, right? So I can call 1-800 and I can get some psychological counseling. Sometimes it's family counseling. Sometimes it's financial counseling. Sometimes it's about debt, school debt. Imagine that, you know, we don't know what school debt is, right? That kind of thing. So he said, I would love for our industry, our ecosystem. I like the word ecosystem. I would love for our ecosystem to have a version of Medicare for all, but it's just an EAP for all, right? And I was like, that's brilliant. Can you please write that up and stick it in in the visionaries? So he did. And I said, okay. I said, do some raw math around that. What would it cost? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So he did some raw math, took a couple wild stabs in the dark. And you can go look at his idea. His name is Joe Pfeiffer. You can go look at his idea on veterinary visionaries and you can look at what he posted. Okay. Well, it was a runner up. And I keep hearing people saying, you got to try that one. You got to try that idea. So on my other night job, because the night is divided into two parts, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you have one day and now you have two nights and two I feel nights. Like you're going to all of a sudden have this 12 hour twilight period. You're going to make yeah, up right. so you can get more stuff done. Okay. So my other night job, I'm like, I keep thinking about how do we make an EAP for all come true? So the first thing I did was I reached out to EAP companies to see, you know, how big they are and how many people they can handle. And some of them are big enough. So let's just take a raw number to start with. Let's just say in North America, there's about, now you can argue this, I'm not going to get into an argument about it, but there's about a quarter million veterinarians, techs, CVPMs, okay. practice managers, vet assistants. Let's just say it's about a quarter million. Okay. So just go with me on that number. So I put that number in front of a variety of EAP providers and come to find out that uh, Joe Pfeiffer's original estimate of an EAP for all costing somewhere between six to 8 million. Okay. Not per year, but for three years of coverage. Okay. Okay. So an EAP for a quarter million people ish, or if his estimate at the time was like a couple hundred thousand was like six to 8 million for three years. And originally when he put that number out there, I'm like, that's pretty doable. Given how much sponsorship money there is given, I mean, given how much venture capital money is coming there, you gotta be able to find six to $8 million. right? Right. Knowing what the challenge is. So dug a little deeper, come to find out, yeah, you can provide a pretty darn good EAP for a quarter million people for about, for three years, not each year, but three years total for 1.5 million. 
Holy crap. That was my reaction. I actually used a slightly ruder version of crap, but in a good way, like really holy crap, right? Like one and a half million dollars, you could give 250,000 people access to an employee assistance program. What does that require? It requires us to think in a collective mindset, right? Think like an anthill, not an anteater. Yeah. <laughs> right? Work together, collect the funds, go to a company, have them contract to provide this service for three years. And it's very doable. There is A, there's a lot of money out there just to begin with. B, there's a lot of money being spent around a lot of different, and this is not a bad thing, a lot of different mental health and wellness initiatives. I commend that. I absolutely commend that. But maybe you can scoop some of it together, right? And so I'm going to use some, this is where people start to dislike me, but I'm, <laughs> I feel like I have to be okay with being disliked when I say some of these numbers. It's not to malign the organizations, it's to put this number of one and a half million for three years covering 250,000 people in context. The Zoetis Foundation just announced that they, uh, with I think the veterinary medical colleges, they just announced funding somewhere around 250, 260 students, DVM students, scholarships at $7,000 a piece. Okay. Now, my raw math is 7,000 times 263 or whatever the number was. It was about 1.8 million. So that's a beautiful, beautiful supporting statement to the industry, to the ecosystem. It's beautiful. But that's 1.8 million for 263 people. And hey, Zoetis is a sponsor of AHA, so I'm not maligning them. I'm just putting it in context. And I'm saying 1.5 million would have funded an EAP program for three years for a quarter million people. Okay. Now, and I'm not saying it's Zoetis' responsibility. So don't do right, not right, right. what I'm saying here. That's just saying that's one number of one thing being funded by one company. There are dozens and dozens of those examples out there going to lots of different initiatives, including mental health and wellness. So companies are getting tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars for their mental health and wellness initiatives. Right. That's commendable, right? So collectively, if we took a slice and just said, can we find one and a half million to fund this for three years? It's very, very doable. Now I'm going to say another thing that's going to create some people who might be upset with me. I, I hope Zoetis heard that and is, is like, hey, that's true. I mean, they should be proud that they gave 1.8 million. Right, your example is not saying it's bad to give 1.8 million no, to veterinary students. Yeah, I love that. My but you're just is, saying this bucket of money, here is the cool, hard money that yeah. this cost. And then if that didn't freak you out, right. then would this over here not freak you exactly. out either? <laughs> so people don't think I'm just out here like, certainly I, I'm not bashing Zoetis. I'm not bashing for-profits, okay? Because yeah. there's a lot more money out there in the for-profit world. You know, there's lots of charitable organizations of that are organizations of, you know, for profits. Zoetis Foundation is one. PetSmart Charities is another. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Right. So there's ways to go find that money within the for profit world. And there's so much venture capital and you know, private equity being poured into our industry. You know, this is like a rounding error on their work. Right. So but then let's go to the nonprofits for a second. And. I did this work on my own. 
I went and I looked at, do you know what a Form 990 is, Brendan? No, tell me what, what's, I've probably never had a Form 990, so tell me what it is. Form 990 is the tax form for nonprofits, okay? And legally, you have to make it public. So AHA's Form 990 is public domain. So is AVMAs, so is ACVIM, store the state VMAs, so are any charitable or nonprofit organization anywhere in the world, anywhere in the U.S., you can get their Form 990. Okay. You can see how much money they make, where their money goes, and then there's some couple of key things you can see in there. You can see how much money they have in the bank. That's really important. It's called, in nonprofit speak, it's called reserves. And oftentimes, a nonprofit says, well, we have reserves in case there's a rainy day and we need to tap into those reserves, right? Sure. Savings, Okay. Most organizations say, well, we need somewhere around six to nine months of operating income in our reserves, meaning if we get no money for six to nine months, we have enough money in the bank where we can operate for six to nine months with no income coming in. Okay, great. That's nice. And I totally understand it. There are many, many, many associations and big ones out there in our veterinary industry that have more than six to nine months of reserves. Tens of millions are in reserves in our nonprofit industry. One organization has well over 50 million. You add it all up together. And I went and I started adding it all up together. You're getting into $100 million in reserves. So you could ask, hey, in a weighted fashion, can our nonprofits get together and put $1.5 million in the kitty? So my point being, again, I'm not bashing nonprofits either. We're a nonprofit. My point being is collectively, we have the ability to fund an EAP for all. And it was an idea and it continues to be an idea that resounds very nicely with people. So I'll tell you what we're actually doing about it now, because, okay. you know, I believe deeply the money is there. It's a matter of will and way. So we're going to put together a capital campaign, just like you're fundraising for a university to build the building that gets Brendan Howard's name on it, right? Sure. We're going to put together a capital campaign. We're going to fundraise. And we'll do it quietly at first. We'll try to get to half of the donations. And once we get to half of the donations, we're going to get loud and proud. And we're going to say, if you haven't donated this yet, boy, you want to get your name on this. Then you don't have to go through that painful period of like, this is not going to happen. Oh, they're at 50,000 right now. I'm, I'm not going to give any money. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's idea number two. And that's where, to me, veterinary visionaries can have an impact is not just in the ideas, but in really saying these ideas are not they're not far off, man. They're very doable ideas. It just needs someone to give it some nudge. Want to see all these ideas so far? Visit veterinaryvisionaries.org. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. Did you love it? Leave us a review. Tell your friends in VetMed about us. If you want more, you're in luck. Jordan explains ideas for putting this open source concept into practice in your hospital in the extended version exclusively for our leaders community. Learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.